Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. My name is Scott. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Mark chapter three, Mark chapter three. And as you're turning there, one of my favorite party games to play, whether I'm hanging out at somebody's house or there's a group of people somewhere, is a game that you may have heard of called Catchphrase. Who's ever played Catchphrase before? This is like a new 2022 version. I went and bought this at Target and it doesn't look like old Catchphrase, but it's all they had at Target. So I bought Catchphrase and and what it is, if you're not sure how to play the game is, you get in a circle and you really, you are trying to get your team to guess the word that is on the catchphrase machine before the time runs out. And it's kind of a game of hot potato. Once your team gets it, you pass it to the opposing team and you are playing until somebody gets buzzed. And so just to start us off today, I have a reason for this, but I wanna, I wanna play a game of catchphrase with our whole church family here this morning, all right? So I'm gonna actually start this and I have a word that I'm trying to get you to say and I want you to out loud say the word if you know what it is. Are we good? All right, here we go. Uh, Egotistical, pious, holier than thou. Whoa, who said it? Right over there. By the way, on Thursday, we had it on the back screen accidentally, and so somebody over here looked at the back screen, and I was like, cheaters in church. So we made a blank screen, but self-righteous. You can go and put that on the screen now. This right here is a word that nobody aspires to be. Just ignore that beeping. It's gonna go on for about another minute if you can hear it, because that was very quick. Great job on that answer. No one aspires to be self-righteous, but if we were to be honest here this morning, in our tendencies as human beings, there are times in your life and in my life where we can be self-righteous. The timer's still going. (laughs) For honest, we all have a tendency to self soothe our own insecurities by looking for opportunities to feel better than other people. And I know that sounds so harsh when you put it like that, but that is self-righteousness. And I begin today by talking about self-righteousness because we're gonna read a story today in God's word where self-righteousness is on full display, particularly by a group of people that you may or may not have ever heard of called the Pharisees. We have been studying the gospel of Mark as a church family. We're gonna continue that study. We put it on pause for a little bit, but we're gonna continue that study today. And the Pharisees, if you've been with us in our study, are not new to you. But for the sake of getting everyone on the same page, if you're new to Bible study, you may be asking, who are the Pharisees? Well, The Pharisees are a group of religious people that had it all together. 
These are, if you remember back to high school or if you're in high school or junior high, these are the goody good, perfect people that never make mistakes. Like you're wondering, do they ever have a bad day? The problem is the Pharisees, it's not that just people thought that about them, they thought that about themselves, hence the self-righteousness. They actually walked around and made it known that they were the good people that had it all together. The Pharisees were in full-blown self-righteous mode. In fact, as I was preparing this message and that little game we played, one of the synonyms I found on thesaurus.com was pharisaic, to actually be a synonym of the word self-righteousness. Now, you may be wondering, why does this matter? We always want to, if you came here today and you're not really sure why you're here, why should you lean in today? Why does this matter? And this is something we've said before in our study of Mark, and we will continue to say because it is very important that we apply these truths, not just hear them and nod in agreement. And here is why this matters. We all have a little Pharisee in us. We admit it. Maybe you didn't high five me right in your heart, but we all have some self-righteousness in us, which means we all have a little Pharisee in us. So when we look at this story in just a moment of the Pharisees, we would do well to listen. Now, before we jump into the gospel of Mark, it's important that we catch up. Some of you have joined our church since we've been studying Mark. And I know when I like am watching a show on Netflix with my wife or whatever, and I have a, a pretty bad memory. And so I love at the beginning of a show when it says previously on and whatever. So I want to give us a little previously in the gospel of Mark to catch us all up. The story of the gospel of Mark is the story of Jesus's life written by a man named Mark. And Mark begins this gospel in the very beginning chapter to say that Jesus is not just a man, Jesus is the son of God. And then we see Jesus be being baptized and beginning his public ministry. As soon as he is baptized, he is led out into the desert where he is tempted by a very real enemy named Satan. And he walks in victory over Satan to show us that we as his followers by his power can do the same thing. And then Jesus begins to call people to follow him, something he still does to this day. He calls his first disciples to follow him, to be in a relationship with him. And then he begins doing ministry. What does that look like? Well, he's healing people and he's forgiving sins and he's casting out demons and, and he's doing a lot of ministry and preaching the kingdom of God. That is exactly what starts to get him in trouble from our boys, the Pharisees. See, they don't like the way Jesus is doing things, specifically the authority with which Jesus did the things he did. They began to get angry at Jesus and his disciples because they were eating with, with sinners. How dare they? They were hanging out with the wrong people. Their, his disciples were not checking all their religious boxes and the Pharisees in full-blown self-righteousness mode said, you're not playing by the rules, Jesus. We're gonna see another story where he comes face to face with these Pharisees. And in this story, believe it or not, Jesus goes to church. 
So pick it up in Mark chapter three. We're gonna read six verses as we begin this chapter. Here's what the Bible says. And again, he entered the synagogue, that's Jesus, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they, those are the Pharisees, they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. We're gonna look at that section of scripture, but it's important. We always wanna look at the Bible in context. Again, this is a story. And if you didn't know, all those little chapters and verses that you see there in your Bible, those were added later for clarity's sake. The word of God is inspired, but this in the original text was just a letter, a gospel account, a story of Jesus's life. But so that I could stand on this stage here today and say, turn to Mark chapter three, verse one. Later on, people put in chapters and verses to help us have a sense of where we are in the story. But sometimes that makes us divide stories wrongly. Say, what do you mean? Well, if you look back at chapter two, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, is the heading in my Bible, and maybe it is yours. You see, what happened at the end of chapter two is actually happening in the same day of what's happening here in chapter three. And it is happening on the Sabbath. You say, what on earth is the Sabbath? Well, for clarity's sake, I wanna define it. The word Sabbath is derived from the Hebrew term Shabbat, meaning to rest or to cease. Literally, it is a word that means stop. In fact, it was actually one of the original 10 commandments. You remember the fourth commandment is to remember the Sabbath. God is serious about Sabbath. It's an idea of us stopping from striving and resting and delighting in who God is. And you may or may not know, but the Israelites took the law of God very seriously. They would set a day aside something that we can still do today. We're not mandated to do it, but it's something we should do as believers in Jesus to set a day aside to just rest and remember and worship God. But the problem is, just like everything that God gives us, we have a tendency to take the good gifts that God gives and we actually make those more important in our lives than the actual giver of the gift. And that is what happened with the Sabbath. So in our last story that we studied a couple months ago, at the end of Mark chapter two, Jesus reminds these Pharisees, put it on the screen, verse 27 of chapter two, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man. See, we twisted that. Not man for the Sabbath. You weren't created so that you could figure out how to rest and make sure you don't work. No, no, no. The Sabbath was created for you and I to rest So it's important for some context. Jesus is with his his disciples in a grain field in chapter two, and they were doing some work according to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees called foul. And Jesus reminded them that the Sabbath was made for man. And later on that day, Jesus and his disciples go to church, and this is where we find chapter three. 
So as we make our way through this story, I wanna focus on four different themes as we make our way verse by verse through this passage. Here's the first one. The man's handicap. The man's handicap. A man was there with a withered hand. I wanna call your attention to the fact, and we will always do this here at Hope, uh, the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And so much of the Greek language is explosive with meaning. So several times today, I will call your attention back to the original language because we get sometimes a, a greater picture of what was really happening here. And I'll, I'll start with this idea of withered. It's important to note, this does not mean this man had an injury. This man did not burn his hand on the stove when he was cooking his friend's dinner earlier that day and he just needs to heal up. No, this word withered means paralyzed. This word withered means he was disabled. It could have been a, an accident or he may have been born with this abnormality but, abnormality, but he was paralyzed, completely disabled. He says, so why is that so important? Well, it's important to remember back in the first century, anybody who had an abnormality like that, a disability, a handicap. They were looked at by the religious leaders as somebody that must have done something wrong so that happened to them. So this man was not just looked at as, oh, it's a disabled man who's, who's really struggling in life. No, 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 the Pharisees are here in this story. Already this guy is starting in the negative. He is paralyzed so he must have sinned or his parents must have sinned. Of course, Jesus always looks at things differently as he often does, he sought out to make this outcast a point of his statement that he wanted to make to the Pharisees, which leads us to our second theme, the Pharisees' suspicion. The Pharisees' suspicion, let's look at it. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Again, let's, not, let's make sure we, we look at this as an actual story that actually happened in real time. The Pharisees are in church. Imagine this scene right here. They're up there in that balcony area, the very top row, hands folded, and they're watching Jesus. Just like in the last story, they were in the grain fields, basically stalking Jesus and his disciples, not because they really cared what he had to say, but they were just trying to catch him doing something wrong. They are watching him. The, the tense of that verb literally means they were following him around and continuously on the lookout. On the lookout for what? How to heal, how to help, how to serve? No, how to find wrong in his life. They completely ignored this man's need. They didn't care about this guy. He was a sinner anyways. So let's watch Jesus to see how he responds to this Man, you gotta remember the Pharisees were the pastors or the priests, the religious leaders of the day, the people, the, 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 the people that, that the, the community looked to for, for counsel and guidance. And yet somehow they were more interested in finding fault in Jesus than serving the people that looked up to them. Again, I want us as we look at stories like this, not just to gather information, we're here not for the purpose of gaining knowledge. We come to church, we sit under the word of God, not for the purpose of accumulating facts, but for the purpose of being changed. And so I wanna let several times throughout this message, the word of God just bear some weight on us in our actual lives. 
So I wanna pause here and I wanna remind us that we all have a little Pharisee in us. So I wanna ask some application questions throughout our day. Here's the first one. Are you more concerned with finding fault in others or seeing a way to serve them? We all have a little Pharisee in us and the Pharisees had no desire to serve the people that they were there to serve. They had no desire to be at the synagogue and to serve the people there. No, they were there to find fault. I'll admit to you right now, my church family, I am a natural fault finder. I don't know if I have any fault finding friends around here, but I naturally just see what's wrong in the world. <laughs> I'll be watching a movie. And my wife won't notice it, but I'll notice, hey, that guy's words didn't match up with his mouth. Anyone else caught that? It's like, why'd they do that? Like, this is a million-dollar production. Fix it. I see that stuff. It just happens. And, and honestly, and, and, and it grieves me to say, but I used to actually boast about the idea that, that I was tough and that, that I used to boast about this idea that God must have forgotten to put the compassion valve in Scott Worthington when he created me. I used to laugh about that as a younger man. I, maybe it's like some of you. I talked to several people after the Thursday and they said, I am just like you. I grew up in a home where we were told, man, just rub some dirt on it. Men don't cry, suck it up. And so that just starts to, to happen in you and you actually start to do that to yourself, but then you start to expect other people to do that as well. And I've seen in my life a lack of compassion a lack of seeing real need and stepping into it. I, I used to, church family, I used to wear that like a badge of honor, but now I've come to see through transformation and sanctification, not all the way there yet, by the way, sanctification is a process, but I've not, I see that now not as a badge of honor, but really that's a mark of immaturity that I'm asking the Lord constantly, God, give me a heart of compassion. Let me see this like you see this, because here's the reality. Finding fault is what Pharisees do. Seeing a way to serve is what Jesus does. So as I follow Jesus, as you follow Jesus, I'm not walking around with a badge of honor saying, I just don't really have a lot of compassion. Rub some dirt in it, suck it up. I'm saying, how would Jesus step into this as he lives his life through me? It wouldn't be through fault finding and calling out laziness or a lack of toughness. It would be through loving and serving and meeting needs. It's constantly something that I am praying about. Maybe you can relate. But why is this a big deal? You may be thinking, okay, so he healed a guy or he, 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 he was going to heal a guy. He hasn't quite healed him yet, but he calls this guy like, why is this a big deal? The big deal remember, is that it was on the Sabbath day. We've already established the Sabbath is a gift from God. It's something that God established. It's his idea. And some of you will remember this from a couple months ago, but those that are new by way of review, I wanna remind you that the Jewish people took this very seriously. And so the Jewish leaders created what is called the, the Jewish Talmud. It's a, it's a book that really sought to provide clarity for Jewish people on how to live according to God's Law. Problem is when man takes God's thing and starts to make it their own, it goes very, very badly. And just like always happens, the, the gift became more important than the gift giver. Pharisees added a long, long, long list 
of all the ways, specifically when it comes to the Sabbath, that you could not work or strive or do things because this was supposed to be a day of rest. And in fact, some of you remember, they created a 39 different categories that they constituted as work. I'm not gonna read this list, but we showed this list a couple months ago. 39 forbidden categories of work on the Sabbath. If you have the notes open in our app, you can read that later. I mean, such an insane list. And their heart was, make sure when you're not doing all these things that you're resting really well. Impossible. It became a burden and it was supposed to be a blessing. And by the way, when it came to helping people, the only reason you could step in and help somebody on the Sabbath was if their life was in actual danger. That's written in the Talmud. If somebody's actually going to die, then you can step in. But if they're just hurt and they'll make it another day, wait till tomorrow because it's not Sabbath. That was the thought process. So now you see why this is such a great deal in church this day. It's important to note here. These Pharisees had become experts in the law of God, but here's what we can't miss. They become experts in the law of God and they've actually entirely missed the heart of God. A reality for you and I in 2022 as Jesus followers, we can know what the Bible says and that does not guarantee that we actually will live what it means. You can know all the verses you can say, I used to be a part of Bible drill. I didn't grow up in church. I don't know what Bible drill is, but I heard about it, okay? Bible drill. I can know all the verses from Bible drill, but you can actually miss God's heart entirely. That's why James in the New Testament says it like this. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I fear so many Christians who were raised in church or have been around the Bible for a long period of time. They know what it says, but they deceive themselves because they don't live it. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. This is a sobering reality from this story as well as the book of James. I can be a scholar of the Bible. You can be a scholar of the Bible. Simultaneously, I can be a self-righteous Pharisee. That is sobering. That's why we, we look at these, ver these verses and these stories, not as just facts, but God, help us apply this. If I got some Pharisee in me, help me apply it so that I don't end up like that, so that you draw me back to what it really means to follow you. That's why we apply these stories. So the Pharisees were very suspicious, which leads us to our third theme, Jesus's response. Let's look at what he does. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? Notice he asked them a very pointed question. And these self-righteous Pharisees were silent. And he looked at, around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. I wanna make our way through these verses. The first thing we see is Jesus says, come here. 
This is not just him giving a, giving a general call. No, this is like Jesus looking up to the top row and saying, you, top row, seat number three, come down here to the front. Imagine in this moment right here, I call out one of you. Everyone's kind of like, this is awkward. <laughs> one guy comes all the way down the aisles. Come, it's Jesus saying, I'm about to do something here. I'm about to make some waves. Come here. And then he asked them this question because he knew exactly what they were thinking. He says, is it lawful? Just like Jesus always does. Jesus is going for the heart of the matter. Make no mistake, he knew the man-made Jewish law. He knew what he was asking these Pharisees because he knew their law. But Jesus, as he always does, even to this day, is not operating off man's laws, but off God's law. I'll give you one example of why Jesus did what he did in this story. From Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So I know it's the Sabbath day, but I'm about to love my neighbor right here. Jesus says, come here. And there's a principle here because a lot of times we get caught up in what should I do here? What should I do there? Here's a principle for us and what Jesus walked in. We should obey man's law so long as it doesn't cause us to disobey God's laws. We should obey man's laws. But in this moment, Jesus knew, I wanna heal my brother because that's loving him. Regardless of what day it is, I'm going to heal this man. I, I don't know about you, but this, this conversation happens in my house all the time. Because <laughs> if you have little kids, hopefully you have some rules. We don't call them laws, but you could call them the laws of the Worthington household. And with four of them, all under the age of 13, there is a lot of law breaking at my house. <laughs> and if my kids could come up here one by one, we enforce the man-made Scott and Candace Worthington laws. But I constantly am reminding my kids as they're looking at me like, why are you doing this? Or this is wrong. I'm always reminding them the only time you don't have to listen to mom and dad is if I ever tell you to do something that would make you disobey God, because he is the boss. Anything else, you're about to do it in this house. <laughs> He's the boss. So if I ever tell you, Bryce, Avery, Blaine, Aria, if I ever tell you to do something that is against God's law, then you can disobey me, but he's the boss. And in this story, he's the boss. And it's always right to bless others despite what the enemies of God might say. And Jesus is doing that front and center. So he says, come here. He asks them a question. They stay silent. And then we have this very peculiar phrase. And he looked around at them with anger. Again, in the original language, I wanna illustrate what this looked like. This wasn't just a quick glance. It literally means Jesus started from one end of the room and slowly looked in the face of every single Pharisee in the building. Anger. This word anger does not mean he was annoyed at their self-righteousness. He was just a little perturbed at how they could act this way in front of their people on a Sabbath. No, no, this word anger is a Greek word that means fury or wrath. 
know about you, but that makes some of us uncomfortable. <laughs> Jesus seething with, with anger. I mean, that kind of pushes against our perfect hair, Pantene Pro-V, sitting around a bunch of sheep, loving the little children, Jesus. I've never seen the, I've never seen the, the Mark chapter three, verse five, Jesus painting. <laughs> but we've seen all the ones where he's smiling and loving all the little children. But it's important that we don't look at this as a sanitized view of Jesus. He was furious at these Pharisees and how they were acting in self-righteousness. Now, don't hear wrongly. Jesus was without sin. So he never sinned. So he wasn't sinfully angry. There's a way, Hope Church, to look at injustice, to look at wrong, and to be righteously indignant to it. That is wrong and be without sin. And that's what Jesus is doing here in this story, outwardly, he was angry, but inwardly, he was grieved. Well, what was he grieved at? This text tells us he was grieved at their hardness of heart. I wanna spend some time on this idea because I think this hits really close to home. Hardness of heart, what is this idea? This word picture that we see all over the Bible. Hardness of heart, it's this idea of callousness. I don't know if you've ever had calluses. Uh, for me, some of you know I play guitar. I've been playing since I was a teenager. And, and at first, when you start playing guitar, it is very, very painful. My youngest son, Blaine, just recently asked me to teach him how to play guitar. And so we started last week to, to learn how to play guitar. And even just Friday, we were doing a lesson and, and he was trying to play a note and it just wasn't sounding quite right. I said, buddy, you gotta press really, really hard. He said, dad, it hurts. And I said, you have to push past the pain of the sting of the strings because eventually your fingers will develop calluses and you won't even feel the strings anymore. That's this idea of callousness. So Blaine, push past the pain because eventually you'll be hardened to it. That's exactly what these Pharisees had done. They had pushed past seeing the pain and the suffering and the oppressed people in their flock. They had pushed past it and they'd become desensitized to real needs and they become hard hearted to the point where there's a handicapped man coming down to be healed and all they could think about was their rules being broken. This is callousness. This is hard heartedness. It's worth noting as you read through the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, Jesus never gets angry at sinners and tax collectors. You can't find a story where he looks at the sinner and says, how dare you? I'm furious with you right now. No, he's always not mad at sinners and tax collectors. Jesus is always angry at religious people who are giving people undue burdens. He came to save the sinners and tax collectors. It's us hard-hearted religious people that he's grieved by. And that's what's happening in this story. So again, as we round third to close today, I want us to think about our own lives. Let these truths, this story, understanding we all have a little Pharisee in us and you know where that pops up. I shared one for me, my, my lack of compassion. Here's the reality we can take from this story. Living self-righteously lessens my sensitivity to the needs of others. That's true of me, that's true of you. 
is I live in this self-righteous mode when I'm only thinking about myself, when I'm only thinking about my needs, it lessens my sensitivity to the needs of others. Make it a little more pointed. Some of us have hard hearts towards the things that are near to God's heart. And don't miss this. It makes him angry. And church family, I know that is a, a hard saying. But we read this story and our God does not change. And so when I walk in callousness, when I walk in desensitized views of sin and I start to treat them like my little pet sins that I'm just cool God's, I'm convinced God's cool with, I have desensitized myself to the reality that there are things that my heart has become hard to and maybe yours too that are near to the heart of God. And he's not saying that's cute, Scott, you have your pet sin. No, it grieves him and makes him angry. Of course there's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Of course there's the love of the Father and the gospel that draws us back, but we have got to stop thinking as followers of Jesus that we can just abuse grace and God's cool with it because we're homeboys. It makes him angry. It grieves the heart of God when I walk intentionally and consistently and repeatedly in things that I know grieve his heart or maybe I'm blind to injustice and goodness in my life. And I know as soon as I say that, there may be some things, like in my life, the Holy Spirit is just elevating in your heart. The Holy Spirit's just highlighting. This is, this is true for you, my son, my daughter. What are those things? I've shared already what mine are, and I'm sure I'll share others as the years go by. I love this quote by R.C. Sproul to kind of wrap this up. We must guard against reading a story like this where we see our Lord angry and grief-stricken over human sin and simply say to ourselves, oh, those bad Pharisees, when we do that, we are just like them. We are just like them. I lost my spot. There it is. Rather, we should go on to God in prayer and say, oh God, do not be angry with me. Do not let me give you a cause to be furious with me. Do not let me grieve you because my heart is hardened. Instead, tell me what you want from me. Give me ears to hear and a heart open to embrace everything that you say. Jesus tells this man, stretch out your hand and on the spot. We don't know how he healed it. He may have touched it. He may have healed it with a word, but Jesus heals this disabled man. He might've been disabled his entire life and instantly by the grace and mercy of God, he was healed. Let's see what the Pharisees do to that. We see what they do in our fourth shift, the Pharisees' evil plot. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. You did not miss the part where it says they rejoiced. Wow, what a miracle. They see this incredible moment and immediately they leave to try to figure out how to destroy this rule breaker. I love what Chuck Swindoll said in regards to this. He said, imagine your reaction. If someone in your neighborhood received miraculous, instantaneous, complete healing, a person born blind or deaf received complete restoration. A paraplegic suddenly leapt from a wheelchair and began walking and running. Everyone I know would rejoice, but not the Pharisees. Hard-hearted and hard-headed, they couldn't see past their hatred for Jesus to congratulate the healed man and celebrate the miracle. 
instead of getting excited for what God was doing in their midst, they immediately left and held counsel with the Herodians. Now, we don't know much about these people, the Herodians, except by their name, we understand that they were very close with Herod the Great. And because they were close with Herod the Great, that would have meant they were close with the Romans and they were friendly with the Romans because Herod was friendly with the Romans. And we know from context that the Romans and the Jewish people, specifically the Jewish leaders, were not friends. In fact, they were very passionate enemies. So when we read that they held counsel with the Herodians, what this means is they were so furious that their rules had been broken that they immediately left and they sought out counsel from their enemies on how to get rid of this man. Talk about self-righteousness. You're so blind to reality. They go, these calloused, hard-hearted men, to their enemies on how to destroy him. It doesn't say how to silence him, how to figure out a way to get him off the scene. No, to destroy. It's a word that literally means obliterate him. Why were they so passionate? Well, they were so passionate because they saw what we all see happening in the gospel of Mark. Jesus' message of life and love and mercy and grace. It was taking the world by storm, which meant that the Pharisees were losing control. The worst thing a self-righteous person in power could do is lose control. And so they did whatever they could to get rid of this man. We're losing our power, therefore he must be destroyed. We'll continue to see this story unfold. This idea play out over the next 13 chapters to where eventually it actually looks like the Pharisees succeeded. Some of you know the story, but later on they would actually continue to work with their enemies to the point where they would actually get Jesus accused and tried and found guilty of crimes he never committed and crucified, meaning put on a cross, nailed to a tree as an execution. That's what's ironic about this story is what the Pharisees thought was their success was ultimately them just playing out an eternal drama that was actually planned by God the Father himself. Later in the story, these Pharisees would get their way and end this man's life and think it was over. But eternity has showed that moment was actually not the end, it was the beginning. It was the beginning of the gospel story where you and I look at that cross, not as success from the Pharisees, but freedom for the sinner. Freedom for the one who has the self-righteousness and freedom for the one that, that lacks the compassion. Or right there when we were talking about our sin, you're saying, I, I wrestle so much and I can't get rid of it. He died on the cross for freedom for those things. And here's what I want you to see, church. This good news, the fact that after he was killed for the sin of the world, he was put in a grave and three days later, he rose again to declare victory over sin and death that is good news. Whatever it is that you are struggling with today, whatever the Holy Spirit bubbled up in you, I want you to see where it sits today. Colossians chapter two tells us where it sits today. You were dead because of your sins, because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. 
He forgave all your sin. Here it is. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Listen, church, I want you to think of whatever those things are that plague you. I don't want you to think of that thing consuming your life. I want you to think of that thing rightly from a gospel lens, which means it's nailed to the cross and there is no record of wrong against you today because of what Jesus has done. Some of you need to receive that today. But I wanna draw you back to the story today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, here's my, what I wanna implore to you today. You could sit in this room and you could be just like the Pharisee. Let me remind you, they were in church. They were hearing the sermon. In fact, they saw the power of God. They were seeing the miracle that God was doing, the power at which he had, but they just refused to submit to it in their own lives. Some of you, I would never be so bold as to call you a Pharisee, but you sit here week in and week out with your arms folded and you witness week in and week out the power of God and the work of God. And I am here to tell you today, don't just watch the work of God, experience the work of God in your life today. You can have that happen. Just like Jesus told the man, come here. In just a moment, we're gonna have pastors up here. Every week we invite people who don't follow Jesus right now, come here. Just like this man stretched out his hand, you and I, as people, as, as people who wanna come follow Jesus, we can stretch out our lives and surrender the control of our lives to Christ. And just like he healed that man physically, right now by the promises of scripture, he will heal you for eternity, spiritually. It's the same God at work in this story. If you are not a follower of Jesus, I implore you, do not act like these Pharisees who watched God work. Be like that man who saw it and experienced it and felt it forever. In just a moment, we're gonna have pastors down here to pray with people. If you need to receive Christ today, I implore you to come be prayed for. Come and be shown how to follow Jesus and change your life forever. He's done all the work necessary others of us, followers of Jesus, people in here that are, that are followers of Jesus Christ. What are some things he may have been doing in your heart during the message? Where are some areas in your life, but if you were honest, you would just say, man, I've become callous. I've become hard-hearted to these things or this sin or this circumstance. And today, the word of God was a sweet balm on my soul to lead me back to repentance. So we want the word of God to do. So maybe you just wanna sit there during this song as we sing about God's greater grace. There is more grace in Jesus today, Hope Church, than there is sin in you. And I don't care who you are. So we're gonna proclaim that today. The greater grace of our Lord. You have other things going on in your lives, things you wanna pray about, things in your family, your marriage, your, your relationships, your, your money, your health. Each week, our pastors love to just pray for our church family as we respond to what God is doing in our lives. So God, would you have your way in this place? You are worthy of our praise. 
I pray for every person in this room right now who doesn't know you. God, would you draw them to yourself right now? Would they come and say, what must I do to be saved? And we can show them the cross and we can show them that it is finished. Pray for believers all over the place right now as they deal with you, as you deal with them. God, would you show them where they become hard to things? And would you soften their heart to the things that are on yours? We love you, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name.